0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to MarTech Brain, a Netco initiative where we speak to the best brains in MarTech and delve deep into one topic. My guest today is Sanjay Suri, Chief Technology and Product Officer at Naika. Sanjay has had a distinguished career working at Oracle, Amazon, Traders, and also an intermediate stint as an entrepreneur. He is an ultra runner and a triathlete. The chosen topic for our discussion today is building tech platforms as modes. So welcome to Martech Brain, Sanjay.
1: Thanks Rajesh, it's a privilege to be here.
0: And I uh, would love to dig deep into it. Uh, so what do you mean when you say, how, how can technology platforms work as modes?
1: Okay, so, uh, so let me start by saying that, you know, fundamentally uh, the key question that comes before you get to that is what kind of a company are you? Uh, are you someone who's tech-driven, engineering-led, and expecting to build strategic advantage there and build moats there around your platforms, or are you um, equally strong but more happy to buy best-of-breed solutions and stitch them together to get platforms working? Both work very well. There are global giants who have taken either strategy and been very successful. So um, let me actually just share my screen and run you through a quick presentation, which I am using to just explain all of my, my mental model.
0: And that'll be great. Go ahead, Sanjay.
1: Yep. Okay, so essentially, what do I? how do I think about this whole MarTech thing? And you know, this is a case in point, it's more about building any platform, tech platform, but taking the example of MarTech since that's more relevant here to, to the series. So if you look at, uh, you know, question is, what is MarTech? MarTech is coming together for the intersection of marketing and tech. Um, people coming from very different mindsets. Um, the marketing folks looking at, you know, retargeting and acquisition and activation and increasing LTV and all of that. And the... Uh, quintessential techie looking at building cool tech and finding beauty in everything they build. So uh, getting them together itself is a, a fun fun exercise. So let me jump into uh, a survey that I found very insightful. It was done by chiefmartech.com. You should go check them out. Um, so there's a little data. I think they've, revis- they've uh, updated it and they have like 8,000 products now. So, if you look at Martech in general, it starts with advertising the whole ad tech space, then content based experience and commerce, social experience commerce, then uh, the usual e-commerce uh, funnel uh, area, and then data visualization mis and you look and if you look at each of these buckets there's a plethora of products there's so many products that you will not even be able to go down uh, more than 20 products in each of these buckets because there's so much happening. There's so many niche players. There are the global tech giants uh, offering uh, ERP-grade solutions. And there are tons of niche players which you can't ignore either. So one of the biggest challenge for a CTO um, becomes how do you make sense of this whole space? And um, what is it that you should really build? And how should you go about it? And you've got to remember that uh, there will be a lot of your peers in marketing and elsewhere who will be asking you for tons of capabilities and who would have their favorite products from their past lives, right, which they want to roll out. So how do you make sense of this? This is, I think, the key question. And uh, this is where you've got to go back and really look at your team's DNA. And in our case, really, we are engineering-led. We build tech platforms as strategic strength. Uh, and we have autonomous teams that are measured only on outcome. Uh, but essentially, we are all about building tech modes. That's my team. And uh, so if you take a step back, you will see that, just to revisit what I'd said earlier, you would see there are two ways about it. One is you buy some, on the left, you buy an enterprise-grade uh, solution and then you integrate multiple niche providers as needed maybe a few but uh, there are always some which the large enterprise products don't cater to or you build a proprietary yet very flexible platform uh, but with a key design requirement i wouldn't say design constraint but a key design requirement that allows for very clean integrations with niche players and that's the uh, road less travel, the road on the left and that's that's how that aligns with our own DNA so that's where uh, my thinking goes and that's what we have built um, so clearly uh, we will build a proprietary platform that gives us a competitive advantage and just to pick a few use cases to make it a little concrete right uh, we've actually tried a lot of products both from uh, Indian companies and global companies, tech giants, from niche players and broad-based uh, players that say we can do everything. And um, let's just run through these quick, uh, these uh, use cases quickly. Price drop campaign, how, uh, you know, that's a pretty standard one. Notify me when you're out of stock, cart uh, card abandonment with custom coupons, uh, personalized gateway pages all your personalization engine. Uh, then, uh, you know, data security concerns, how do you share data with someone without sharing PII's and only give it to them through an API while sending out notifications. So if you look at some of these concrete use cases, um, and, and then we uh, sort of implemented one or two products, but then they didn't succeed. So then we had to kind of, we lost time and then we started building our own. So even, so in my mind, what happened is we did give a spare chance and implemented some of these available products, but they didn't really work out very well for us. So then, uh, what did we do? We went out and uh, built our own proprietary motherboard, so to say. So I'm using the motherboard of a computer as an analogy. So what does a motherboard do? It does some basic functions, but primarily it allows for cartridges. You know, whether it's by way of a RAM or a cpu or a graphics card or something else um, it allows for functional extensions to be done by third parties who choose to cater to, to work with your api interface essentially right so that's how that's what we have built and think of uh, a data platform data gathering platform um, a data sharing platform on that, we have bolted our own nika CPU, which gives us the capability to do real-time personalization and product recommendations. That's built into our platform. And then what do we do? Then we say that, okay, I have this whole uh, API spec, because we see a lot of, one of the most common use cases is we get a lot of uh, uh, players coming in and say saying that, hey, use our product recommendation engine, your conversion will go up by 30% or 50%. So sometimes they make sense. And then the proposition is pretty strong and we don't want to go out and build everything. So then we say that, fine, here's our API uh, spec. This is how you get access to our data. Uh, It has no PIIs. So we're not risking any of our customer data and uh, identity and uh, uh, churn this data give us product recommendations we'll take them we'll send them out so that's how we've made our platform pretty extensible and then if you look at here down below around peripherals this is where we interface with our the other third party notification services whether it's sending an app push or email or text or whatsapp whatever it is and uh, mind you we're also able to use multiple uh, providers for each and build redundancy and uh and what and the other finally uh, what we also want to do is um that uh, uh, the notification service gets the request to notify a user and the user at that time is identified by user id uh, if you need the email if you need the phone number or need any other uh, identifier which is a uh, personal identifiable information that is looked up at by the uh, notification layer. So that's how we also protect our data. So, you know, these are some of the main things, uh, m- key highlights of what we have built. And uh, it's not fully built, but that's that's the way uh, we're going down. And uh, this sort of summarizes also my mental model on how I think of building platforms in general. And uh, hope, you know, through this, I've been able to explain how we're looking at building our MarTech solution.
0: I think it's been fascinating Sanjay. I think the motherboard example was, was spot on. So one question, if you dig a little deeper into this would be that I think envisioning how this whole thing will look and work together, the architecture, I think that has to, that probably plays a very important role uh, in this whole thing. So it's not, I mean, you've got to sort of imagine how it will be, and then you're building it layer by layer.
1: Right. Um, so so let me explain how I, uh, at least how I go through it. And uh, hopefully that, that, you know, will um, ho- hopefully that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think first of all, the key thing is as a CTO, it's very hard for to tell anyone that, listen, give me six months, I'll tell you what I'm going to build or just slowing down business by a year or six months because you know, nothing reasonable Nothing non-trivial can be built in less than six months. Uh, Anything substantial can be built only over, I would say, 18 months, right? It just takes time. So first of all, uh, you've got to not be in a hurry. First of all, you've got to douse the fire. Uh, What I mean by that is get some reasonable, uh, buy some reasonable products and sort out your basic use cases, get your business as usual running don't have any fires, that's number one. Second, uh, you really gotta think hard and decide whether is it in your team's DNA to build stuff, build frameworks and platforms or you're better of, better of buying versus building, right? So I'm assuming then you, let's say you've decided that, yes, I wanna build stuff, right? Then what you gotta do is uh, um, you gotta think hard about all the use cases And then you've got to think of what are the key areas that you want to own? What are the risks that you want to protect from when integration happens? In our case, the example of uh, personal identified information. Uh, And then you've got to basically build this thing out. Um, But always a very key design requirements, just to repeat, should be what is my API interface, which uh, will allow me to do third party integration seamlessly, easily, Uh, I can generate documentation. So every integration is not another six month thing. So I think that's how I would, that's how I go about it.
0: Yeah, great learnings also, I think for others who are embarking on this journey, I think the points you said essentially that don't be in a hurry to do everything at once. I think uh, stick to what's working. Uh, I think the DNA is very important. I think the sort of buy-in right from the top that we are gonna be a tech driven company. Uh, I think yeah. that's, I think very critical. And then the third element is of course, uh, thinking through the architecture and the design, because that also means that you then have to hire in a certain way. Absolutely. And, and you, uh, you've been managing uh, a very large team, 200 uh, people, uh, I think both in Mumbai and a large uh, team in uh, Gurgaon. Uh, so how do you go about uh, both in terms of how do you go about recruiting and in terms of managing so what's your style but well, this is very unique i mean the dna that you're talking about of an yeah. engineering lead in an e-commerce company is not easy to come by
1: yeah so actually sometimes when i, I talk so much about these things that people think you know uh, is he really the cto but the but the but the but the you know profound truth is that it's really all about hiring best talent uh, great leaders and second, it's about uh, having a great culture. Uh, I think these things are always told to us by everyone, but the fact is, this is it, you know, uh, cliches are always always the profound uh, truths and profound learnings. So I think on team management, my philosophy is, first of all, you know, um, we're talking about technology. So you should have a very, very, very clear idea of what you need to build you need to have a very great understanding and definition of the architecture that you need to, your final architecture. Um, from there, you've got to figure out uh, your hiring has to be very strong. You have to be able to hire very strong leaders. What that means is in in just two uh, dimensions. They have to be very strong in their domain, whether it's product thinking, whether it's computer science and software development, large scale systems, full stack development, all of that, which I think is the easier one, right? So you've got to be very good at gauging that. And second, you need to hire people simply who can um, gain trust of their teams. So I think you need to nail these two, you need to have the architecture, and then you hire people, you assign, I'm talking about the leadership that you hire, and then you assign each person to a part of the architecture, no overlaps, uh, mutually exclusive pieces uh, and you know collectively exhaustive uh, from an architecture standpoint. And then you let them run with it. So actually it's as simple as that. Uh, but if you do this, then you can run teams, distributed teams, geographically distributed teams. You could be in three locations. Uh, we're already in Bombay, where, uh, which is where I'm based and our larger team is in Gurgaon. It works beautifully. And now we have the confidence since this model has worked so well, we're going to Bangalore for certain teams. So I think this has been my experience and uh, it just works very nicely.
0: You know, and uh, If I sort of ask you this question of how did you evolve your thinking? I think, was it your sort of stints at uh, Oracle and Amazon or uh, how did this sort of thinking evolve? Because this is a very unique way, you know, technology as a moat is something which you don't hear very often. Building, building the full stack, uh, owning the full stack in a way, you know, motherboard upwards. Right. Most of the, the tendency, I think you've seen also your peers, a lot of them, the tendency is to, you know, uh, sort of take different components, put them together. Right. You've chosen a very different path. Um, so how did, you, how did you develop this thinking?
1: So I think my, uh... I think I, I was deeply influenced by, from an architectural standpoint, by my stint in uh, Oracle and Redwood Show in the headquarters. And uh, this was Oracle ATI, you know, 20 years back. Uh, I was a young engineer and uh, I was in the, uh, they had these fancy names and the Oracle database had a data cartridge. Oracle database is something, it's a SQL relational database and you know, you uh, put some data in tables and you join them in columns and you do some projection and you know, it's pretty simple. But they had built this thing that what if someone had their own algos to run joins and they thought they knew their uh, data best, therefore their algos would run well, best. So Oracle said that, okay, we'll build a data cartridge where we'll allow people to plug in their algorithms to run a database join and the data would still be managed in the Oracle DB. So, you know, it was just, and this is 20, 25 years back. Um, uh, so, you know, that's the, that's where I learned my, uh, architecture and, uh, over the years, you know, in the middle, you tend to forget because then you go back to building some very specific applications, but then somewhere it stays. And then later in life, when you have a larger mandate, And you're looking at those things again, then it just sort of all comes back. So I think that's been the, and then later at Amazon, Amazon again had the same kind of thinking. Amazon influenced me by way of uh, organizational, um, you know, um, um, structuring and uh, their deep commitment to autonomous centers. Uh, so I think that's, the, my, my org thinking came from there. My uh, architecture thinking early years came from uh, Oracle. And then uh, and then along the way, you know, learning from peers, that's been a great learning. And uh, finally, you know, uh, there's one blog I'd like people to go back and read. I think it's by Werner Wobbles, Werner uh, Amazon CTO. He talks about architecture-driven organizations. That's what I follow and if you really think about it you might say yeah that's pretty intuitive and uh, but then you know you read it it's it's a great blog he says if you define the organization and then tell them what to build then your architecture will mimic the organization because no one, everyone will build what they think is best but but you should do your your optimal architecture first and then assign people to parts of the architecture so so they can't mess up the optimal architecture At worst, they may mess up a part of the implementation.
0: I think yeah, fascinating. Um, I think when we were chatting, you also mentioned about this idea in terms of uh, um, building teams of pods. I think uh, uh, that's another key component, really, when you say autonomous, you've got these different pods, which work on.
1: Yeah, Uh, you know, one of the easiest things to do, and you know, I, I don't mean to be critical. Uh, but it's a very pragmatic thing to do is to have separate UI teams, separate backend teams, you know, separate web team, mobile team, right? Uh, That works very well. But I think what works even better is the pod model, where if someone owns search, let him own the full stack, let him own Android, iOS, mobile desktop, APIs, algorithms, infrastructure, DevOps. So then he's most motivated. He's most excited. He owns all the key metrics, um, because search is one place where you can say that, like most things, you can say that the UI is not great, therefore conversion is not great, or the algo is not great, so let one person own everything. And then, uh, and and actually I would also encourage people to go watch a very famous video made by Spotify Engineering Culture. If you look by that, you'll find it. Uh, They have beautifully explained uh how this the internal workings of a pod
0: great i think uh, these are wonderful inputs for anyone out there i think building engineering teams uh, right. i think great uh, insights uh, from you sanjay uh, and as we come towards the end uh, we've got our sort of uh, last bit what i call the five ones uh, i hope you're ready for that
1: yeah absolutely
0: <laughs> okay so um, one future trend and, or technology that excites you.
1: So I, I love building distributed systems. So what excites me is, you know, this whole rich IoT devices coming in for everything. Uh, advances in robotics, uh, advances in AI, um, and how it's going to stitch together. And if you think about it, it might do many, many sophisticated things, but one of the things it promises to do is we will not have to run errands anymore. You know, doing some grocery, paying a bill, you know, walking the dog, if you you know, also mm-hmm. want to consider that an errand. Um, cooking, everything can be done because, you know, um, even what music to play, uh, the algo will know what my mind mood is right now. I've had a heavy day. I had all these meetings. So it'll play something light automatically. I don't even have to decide, right? All decisions are made for me so the prospects of building all this is sounds pretty exciting and not having to do a lot of errands is very exciting however uh the flip side to that it's a dual sword, uh double x four and i think the flip side to that is life's going to become very boring what are we going to do you know i think it's going to take away the if 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 you know um if uh, i forget uh, that google voice if it's going to make restaurant reservation also and also going to order because it knows what i like what i ate yesterday so i don't want to repeat it mexican I haven't eaten in a long time so you know if everything's done then uh it's going to take away fun of. where's the surprise sorry the
0: serendipity the surprise it's
1: gone yeah so that's the flip side of it which i fear
0: okay so i presume maybe that's also the tech trend that Maybe disappoints you in some ways.
1: Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Uh, it's going to take away a lot of the human element, human relationships. So mm-hmm. that's not something uh, I look forward to.
0: Okay. Uh, next question. So what's a one one good book recommendation?
1: So I have it here. I think many of you would have read it. Uh, yes, and then uh, the other one that has really influenced me is uh, Sapiens. Uh, again, a very popular one. So, not sure if I'm sharing anything new here.
0: Great, not always helpful. One good person or podcast to follow.
1: So, there's a guy called Rich Roll. I think his podcast is called Richroll.com. He's a plant-based uh, endurance athlete, but he runs a podcast which is about health, fitness, of course, about sports also. But he does a lot of very interesting uh, podcasts uh, around uh, a variety of topics, even like parenting and spirituality and all. So it's it's very, very interesting.
0: Great. And one key driving belief in your life?
1: I think it's all about relationships and it's all about people. And I think that's the most important thing to me in my life and uh, about helping people. So yeah. Again, cliches, you know, uh, I've also realized that over the years that most of the learnings and uh, are all cliches. So I think uh, mm-hmm. another great way is to just go over the list of cliches and maybe start taking them seriously.
0: Perfect. And uh, before we end, I think uh, one of the things I'd like to ask you is on your passion in um, ultra running. Uh, how did that come about? And uh, how do you sort of practice it? I think it was, I know... A lot of people are interested, but uh, very few actually get started. So would uh, love to hear your thoughts on that, how you got started and advice for people.
1: So actually I got started just naturally because I was massively into football uh, right from childhood. I think right from when I was five or six, and then that kept growing. I played competitive at various levels. And then um, running is a great partner to football. Uh, and then that started and somehow I realized that whenever I used to run on the road I almost used to I subconsciously would reach the footpath and if there was even a spot of grass I would sort of start running on that as opposed to the that just came naturally and then later it became more trail running and uh, uh, and then as it happens a lot of trail races are very long so then that becomes ultra running and then Uh, A lot of the friends you make, they happen to be into triathlons also. And then once you're, by the time you reach your late 20s, and if you've been playing football or tennis or any of these sports, your knees can't take it anymore. So anyway, you take it to uh, endurance sports. So uh, it sort of happened um, naturally, and it's been a great pillar. I don't think I could have done, uh, you know, followed my profession and, done such such a job and entrepreneurship if i not had 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 uh, running or sports as a pillar so i think uh, i think for people who are interested they should just start you know 5k is good enough just make that a goal and just get started the good thing in india is that now there's tons of clubs and encouraging encouragement so i think it's not that hard to get started anymore
0: wonderful inputs uh, sanjay thank you very much It's been a wonderful conversation.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure being here.
0: And uh, friends, uh, that was Sanjay Suri on this edition of MarTech Brain. Uh, We'll be back
1: with a new episode next week. Uh, Thank you very much.